Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good. Can everyone hear me okay? Yep, great. It's um, good to be continuing looking through James. Um, just wanted to say before we start, um, I'm just beginning to look at the planning of our teaching for next year. And we're actually meeting as a leadership team in a couple of weeks' time as well to look at that and a few other things as well. And I just want to put the offer out there. If anybody's got anything they're really passionate about, they'd love to have some teaching on next year, let me know. Um, I'm probably going to look at it on Tuesday. So if you, if you want to perhaps email me today or um, tomorrow, it'd be lovely to hear from you. I did send an email out earlier in the week. I've heard back, I think, from about 10 people already, which is fantastic. But if there are others who would like to you know, put, put uh, something in there, can't promise to do everything because we might have to um, do church every day to do that. Um, but uh, anyway, if, you want, if there's something you want, please do email. Don't, don't hesitate um, to do that. I also just want to commend, again, reinforce what Rachel said earlier about testimonies. Um, testimonies are a great way for us to encourage one another. And I don't know about you, but when I hear someone's testimony of what God's doing in their life, I'm so inspired. And so I just want to really encourage you that if there's something over this past year, particularly thinking about draw near, that you feel, yeah, God's doing something there. God's been at work. Do let us know, and we'd love to either um, get you up to share it or we can read something. Um, so do let us know. Okay, so we're continuing uh, James this morning, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm deeply challenged by James. I read through and I think, goodness me, this is really challenging stuff, you know, and uh, lots of Paul's writings are often uh, framed uh, with lots of words of love and grace in them, but James gets straight to the point, he goes straight for the jugular, and uh, as a preacher... I guess I'm often in this quandary about how do I bring this to us? You know, do I go for the jugular or do I uh, sort of couch it in, in, in a wider context? And I think the important thing to recognize here is actually that James is a pastor. And James wants to see the best for the church. He's writing to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he wants to enable them to live life under, under God. Remember, he's the half-brother of Jesus, so he knows all about Jesus and his heart and his passion. Um, but within this, he brings great challenge. And as I was thinking about this this morning, I was just thinking, actually, you know, it's, a, it's again about this gap, isn't it? That actually this is where we are as disciples of Jesus. And we're seeking to walk um, towards where God is calling us to be over here. And between is the gap. You know, we're called to move through that gap. And it's not that we uh, beat ourselves up or we should get guilty about the gap, but we do need to name it and we need to see it as a reality and we need to seek to become all that God is calling us to be. But we do that by his grace. It's not by our own strength, it's not by our own works, but it's by his grace. And so we want to invite God's spirit to work in us and through us in this. And that's why every Sunday when we gather together for worship, we offer prayer ministry and a time of waiting because we want to invite the Holy Spirit in to equip us to do that. So this morning I want us to focus on pursuing God's will. And uh, Valerie very aptly said before the service, I'm not a very big topic then. Uh, Very true, isn't it? It's a massive area, and we could probably spend a whole series on pursuing God's will. But I want to look at it specifically in the context of thinking about... Would someone be able to get a glass of water, please, for uh, for Keith? Um, uh, Looking specifically um, at at, at what it is to pursue God's, God's will in the context of James... Now, I wonder what your approach is to planning. I wonder what your approach is to planning. I, uh, I've got more planned over the years. I remember uh, when we first got married, I wasn't very planned at all, and that had uh, impact on our marriage at times. Um, 
but, but also as a, as a um, at university, I wasn't very planned out. I wasn't very good at uh, responding to emails and communicating and all that kind of stuff. I was, guess I was a, a typical teenage and young 20s bloke at that stage. And uh, not to offend any uh, young blokes here, by the way, if uh, you're not in that zone. But that was just me. And, uh, but I wonder what your approach is to planning when it comes to your career, your holidays, your finances, to your retirement, and to meeting with friends and family. I imagine that all of us, I imagine there's a great spectrum and spread of people uh, that approach it in different ways. Some of us are meticulous in our planning. We want every single little detail set up before we embark. Others of us are more general planners and get a rough plan together and then go for it. And then there'll be others who are like, well, you know, stuff a plan. Let's just go for it. Let's just see what happens and, 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 and uh, see what enjoyment we can have along the way. And all of us will be different, and it's not to say that one is better than another. I'm not here to say one approach is better than others. There may be certain situations where one approach is better than others. I mean, often my experience is often when you get two people who are very different in their approach. That's where you get a few sparks flying. Um, but, but, but the point I want to make this morning is not about how we plan, but it's our attitude within our planning. And specifically, under God, how do we look at our plans? How do we bring our plans before God. I'm sure many of us will have experienced when our plans go wrong. <clears throat> there was uh, a headline, uh, if we're going to have that up, Josh, uh, that came out a couple of years ago. Belgian fans drive to Wales in Yorkshire after Satnav mishap sends them 200 miles in wrong direction. The fans had set out for their country's crunch Euro qualifier against Wales and Cardiff, rang a, a Belgian radio station to reveal their plight. They ended up in Wales. I didn't even realize that Wales existed in Yorkshire. Did anyone else know that? No. Well, there you go. So apparently there is. So when you, when you uh, look to travel somewhere, uh, make sure you don't just type in Wales. I don't think I would actually just type in Wales. I'd probably type the actual uh, town I was going to in Wales. But I guess they were coming from abroad. So they end up at the wrong place. And that's just, just a story for us around planning and how it can go all wrong. But um, plans, um, when go wrong, can create a hassle for us. But actually... Within us as Christians, it's not about the plans so much we make, but the attitudes that we express within those. And it's interesting when we look at the ministry of Jesus, because there are some Christians that would say we shouldn't plan at all. And we see actually in Jesus' ministry, there is a sense in which he does make plans. Um, In Luke chapter 22 and verses 8 to 12, we read about Jesus planning the Passover. So he says, uh, it says in uh, Luke's gospel, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. And so Jesus made plans, but even More important than that was behind those plans, his purpose. Jesus knew why he came to earth. He came with a very clear purpose. And we see this purpose expressed in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, about halfway through the gospel. And we read from Luke, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out 
for Jerusalem. And this is a key turning point in Luke's gospel. And Jesus has been ministering uh, in the towns and the villages. And he's been healing the sick. He's been raising the dead. And then at this point, it says he resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus knew his purpose. But even more important than his plans and his purpose was his connectedness with the Father. His purpose and his plans came out of that. And we read in John chapter 5 and verse 19, Jesus saying this, very truly, and I don't know if any of you remember the authorized version, but what did it say in there? It said, truly, truly. And so what we're we're having here is a very strong expression of Jesus saying, this is really important. This is really full of truth. I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus' attitude to the plans he made was to make sure that that came out of his relationship with God. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, I just want to ask you a few questions. What is your will? What is your desire? What is your ambition. And I want us to explore how we submit all these things to God's will, our desires, our passions, our will, uh, and our ambitions. How do we submit those to God? And there are three specific things I want to explore this morning as we think about this, as we think about pursuing God's will. And the first of those is get perspective. Get perspective. Now, uh, my youngest son, Simi, has just uh, got some new glasses. He's very excited about those. He's especially excited because one of the pairs he's got are Star Wars glasses. So he's like, yeah, I've got Star Wars glasses, Daddy. And uh, for him, wearing those glasses is going to give him better perspective as he reads. You know, he needs to wear them mainly when he's reading. And so that will give him better perspective. And James calls us to have perspective In James chapter 4 and verse 13, we read this. Now listen. And this expression, now listen, there's a strong emphasis on this as well. So two things to say about that expression and that emphasis. The first is that it's very blunt. Okay, so James is going straight for the jugular, as I said earlier. And also he said, the second thing about this is that it is a challenge. Okay, so it's blunt and it's a challenge. A bit like when um, I address my children and say, children... Come here, please. When I say that, you can hear it. There's a tone, isn't there? You know that there's something they've done that I need to have a little word with them about. And it's a bit like that with James. Now listen. Okay? And what does James then go on to say? He says, now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. James is saying, come on, guys, you've got to get this together. You've got to get the right perspective. We've got to follow God's example. You know, uh, a verse we've looked at over the last couple of uh, weeks is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. We're called to submit to his love and his ways and express that through the way we plan and the way we live our lives. So what was it that these guys were getting wrong? You know, how how can we read from this passage? What was it that they were 
they were missing. Well, the clue is when James says, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. It is likely that Jesus here is addressing merchants. Okay, so why do we think that? Well, we think that because it says that uh, tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. And in this time, actually, trade was flourishing. It was a time that there was a a general sense of peace in the Roman Empire, particularly around the Mediterranean. So this enabled trade to, to build and strengthen. And there were many Jewish people who went from Palestine and went to Mediterranean cities to conduct trade. And so it's likely that uh, James is challenging them. Now, is he challenging planning? Is he challenging making a business plan? Is he challenging making money? No, he's not. There's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, we look at uh, Abraham in the Old Testament. He was probably one of the wealthiest men on earth. Uh, But God loved him, and he had faith in God. Um, A.W. Tozer expresses it very well about, uh, about Abraham. He said, he had everything but possessed nothing. And the bit that James is challenging here is about the possession, that these merchants were so holding on uh, to their wealth and their plans that they were being so, becoming so self-confident in this that they were no longer depending on God. God invites us to flourish. He wants us to to grow and develop. He wants us to make plans, but he wants us to submit all those to him. James goes on in verse 14 to say, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Very sobering words. And James is articulating that nothing in this life is fixed or secure. He compares it to a mist that the sun can very quickly dissipate. Alternatively, a meaning, the meaning here might be smoke. Again, the wind can blow the smoke away. One commentator says this, human life is insubstantial and transitory. Here one minute and gone the next. Illness, accidental death, or the return of Christ could cut short our lives just as quickly as the morning sun dissipates. The mist or as a shift in wind direction blows away smoke. James is saying to us that there is a fragility about our lives. In uh, Proverbs we read, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not, not know what a day may bring forth. What James is saying here is that we need to make sure that in our plans and in our will and in our desires, we are bringing those before God. In Berlin uh, Art Gallery, there is a painting by a German painter, Adolf Mesel, uh, who, was, who lived between 1815 and 1905. And only par- he only partially finished the painting. It intended to show Frederick the Great speaking with some of his generals. And uh, he, he painted the generals in the background, but he left the king until last. And he painted the outline of Frederick in charcoal, but died prior to finishing it. And I just thought this is a great illustration and challenge to us that we can focus so much on the background and getting everything else finished that we forget to draw the king in the painting of our life. 
we're invited to put Jesus center stage in our lives. Not just an outline, but to see all of him in our lives. That in our desires, in our ambitions, in our will, that he takes that place. And so James calls us to have perspective. Get perspective. Secondly, is the call to put God in charge. We've already covered some of this already. Um, But as we look at this passage, um, James says in verses 15 to 16, Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. And this is probably a phrase we know very well, isn't it? We will live, um, rather, if it is the Lord's will. So a phrase that we're probably very used to, may have heard several times. And we're called to express this in not just by word, but in our attitudes and in our approach to all that we do. Now, there's a curious phrase in this passage. I don't know if you've noticed it, but it's almost like James is repeating himself. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. How can you boast in being arrogant? It kind of almost sounds like a double thing there. You know, okay, so I'm boasting in my boasting. That sounds crazy. Why would you boast in your boasting? Shouldn't we boast at all? Um, but, but actually, when we uh, unpick this a bit, we see even in James, but also in the wider New Testament, that there is nothing wrong with boasting in and of itself. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can think, well, you know, I shouldn't boast. You know, I shouldn't boast. That's wrong to do that. But actually, the question is, what do we boast in? is the challenge to us. And so even in James's book, we see that actually James encourages in another place uh, for the people to boast. So we see in James chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride or ought to boast in their high position. In other words, if you are really struggling, if you're poverty stricken, you can boast in your high position. In other words, you can boast in the position that you are before God, that you're loved before God. And then James goes on a bit later in that passage to challenge the wealthy and say you are to boast in your low position. And then we look at Paul as well. Um, Paul is a a man who uses this phrase boasting so many times in 2 Corinthians. If you've not read that or you don't remember that passage, a great passage to read about boasting. And he's really challenging the pride that is amongst the Corinthians. And we see this particularly in 2 Corinthians 10 and 11. And in 2 Corinthians 11.30, Paul says this, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. So we've established there there's nothing wrong with boasting. Okay, so if there's nothing wrong with boasting, what is it that James is challenging? Well, he's challenging them in the boasting about their arrogance. And their arrogance was their self-assertiveness, their the position they got to where they thought, you know, I've got my life sorted. I don't need God anymore. I've got my plans. I know where my money's coming from. I've got everything sorted. God can just be pushed to one side. They may not have said that explicitly, but by the way they were living their lives, that's what they were expressing. And James challenges them in verse four and verse, chapter 4, verse 15. He says this, Instead, instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And this is reinforced, isn't it, by the passage we looked at last week um, where James said in uh, chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves to God. And that's essentially what James is saying. He's saying submit all that you do, all you think, all you say 
to God. Henry Ford, the motor car uh, company founder, Ford, he says this, a weakness of all human beings is trying to do too many things at once. That scattered effort destroys direction. It makes for haste and haste makes for waste. So we do things in all the wrong ways possible before we come to the right one. Then we think it is the best way because it works. And it was the only way left that we could see. Every now and then, I wake up in the morning headed towards that finality. With a dozen things that I want to do, I know I can't do them all at once. And Henry Ford is on to something there about focus. But actually, as Christians, we'd want to take it one stage further. And we would say it's not just about having focus. But it's about, as our vision focus was last year, it is about the focus on the one thing that we're called to focus on God himself and allow him to be at the center of all that we do. Now, you might be saying to me, well, you know, Josh, it's all very well you're saying that. You know, I've committed my life to following Jesus. But what does that look like on a day-to-day level? You know, it's all very well you're talking about aligning your will. But how on earth do I do that? You know, and some people, I think, have overinterpreted this and literally say, you know, well, as I walk out of church this morning, I'm going to pray. Do I need to go right or do I need to go left? Do I need to get my car? Do I need to get my bicycle? You know, I think I don't think God worries too much about how you uh, travel around or, or, or those th- th- those things. But it's it's the value uh, and the attitude behind uh, what we do and how we approach those things. And God has not made us robots. He's given us free will. And so really what we need to do is invite God's presence into our lives to direct that. And so um, we see this practically worked out in the life of Paul. Really interesting with Paul, how he experiences God's will at work in his life. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6, we read, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And so Paul had been prevented from going to a specific place by the Holy Spirit. We don't know how that happened. Uh, And because of that, he went to another area and preached the gospel. And this is one way that I believe as we align our hearts with God, that he shows us his will through our circumstances. Um, And another way that I think is really key is that as we delight in him and as we seek him and as we pray, that God works through us. And what's really interesting, when Jesus was asked how to pray, how should we pray, what did he say? He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is such a key way that we align our hearts and our minds with God. And do you know what I find? As I, the more I pray the more I take the will of God into the situations I go. The more I believe I express the values of God in the situations I am. And just perhaps a helpful framework as we're thinking about praying for our day that's coming up. Two things. One is praying for our relationships, praying for our family members, our spouse, our uh, children, our parents, praying for our work colleagues, praying for all those that we come into contact in that day. So firstly, praying for our relationships. And the second one is praying for our responsibilities. What are the responsibilities that we carry today? And how can we allow God's grace to channel through us in those things?
Now, of course, Jesus' example is the best example to all of us. And perhaps the most amazing example that Jesus gives us of following God's will, perhaps the most difficult situation that any human being has ever experienced in all of history is on the night before Jesus' crucifixion. That in the Garden of Gethsemane, he felt under so much pressure. He felt the pressure of what he was called to do, the responsibility that he was called to the next day. And Jesus said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. And so Jesus was very honest about the gravity and the challenge of the thing that he believed God was calling him to do. And he said, Lord, if there's any way that you can take this from me, please do. But what does he go on to say? He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus aligned his will with the Father's, even in a really, really difficult situation. And I guess that's probably the prayer that most of us need to pray. (laughs) Not my will be done, but yours be done. It's a prayer I need to pray more. But actually, we align our wills with God's. So get perspective, put God in charge. Thirdly, finally, and shortly, act on it. Don't just think it. Act on it. Don't just think it. Why do I say this? Well, James says in chapter 4, verse 17, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. James is addressing the sin of omission rather than commission. Omission rather than commission. In other words, it's very easy to identify the things that we do wrong, but sometimes we forget about the things that we know we should do, but we don't do. And so James is challenging us. Actually, those things that God puts into our hearts, he puts into our minds, that we take action on those. It's so easy, isn't it? I do this all the time, just to push push something aside and think, oh, you know, I'm going to leave that. I've got the time or energy to do that. We just push it aside. But the challenge is that we step up to those things, that we follow through. A couple of examples where Jesus challenges this um, in the New Testament. The servant uh, in Jesus' parable who fails to use the money that was entrusted to him. And also the people who fail to care for the outcasts of society. Both those resources God has given us that we can use for his service and also those in need who we fail to serve. I don't know about you, but this stuff makes me realize how big my gap is. You know, I'm here and I recognize this so much. And uh, God's desire for us is not for us to be oppressed by that, not for us to be discouraged, but to recognize actually there's growth here for us. There's growth here for us to align our wills with God. And we're invited to get perspective. We're invited to put God in charge. And we're invited to act on it. Don't just think it. And so what is your will this morning? What is your desire? What is your ambition? Let me just really challenge you about that for a minute. And ask you, you know, if you think about what is the primary drive in your life. Are you inviting God into that place to say, God, deep inside of me, right at the core of who I am, I invite you to be the one who leads my life. 
You know, I love the prayer of, um, I wasn't going to say this, but I just thought it just came to mind, is that prayer in uh, Ephesians chapter 3, where um, Paul is praying for the Ephesian church, and he prays, uh, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen with you power, you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And there's something here about us being strengthened right at the core of who we are with his power. And why does he pray that? In other words, in, a, in that we might know the love of God, how great, how wide, how long, how deep is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Are we bringing our priorities to him in that? And I just want to finish with a, a prayer, actually, from uh, David, from Psalm 25, that I found immensely helpful in at least getting me to think and own that perspective of putting God first in my life. And that's Psalm 25, verses 4 to 5, and it says this, Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. So those three things, show me your ways, teach me your paths, and guide me in your truth. Folks, this morning, and I challenge myself, and this is, can we invite uh, the Holy Spirit this morning to come and to recalibrate our hearts, our desires, our minds, that we would seek his will, that we would lay aside our own wills, and that we would pursue his.